Hello and welcome to this Sunday, March 6th episode of the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast. I am your host, Horace Kermani, and today we get to take on eight games worth of an NBA slate that is, once again, as DraftKings has done for the last couple of Sundays, separated out into two slates. We'll have a afternoon one that starts at 1 p.m. Eastern time, which will have two games in there. We do have, as last time around, an orphaned game of a Pacers and Washington Wizards at 6 p.m., which is not part of any of the main slates, so we're going to get an opportunity to be able to ignore that and then focus on the main five-game slate that would be starting at 7 p.m. So really gives you those two opportunities to be able to get in. A couple of bigger GPP tournaments are going to be in that main 7 p.m. slate, so perhaps you want to look to focus a little bit more on that, but doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of opportunities to be able to do some big things as far as the afternoon is concerned. But before we do get into it, as always, we want to shout out our sponsor, Thrive Fantasy, which if you aren't aware of as of now, you absolutely should be. It is the premier opportunity for you to be able to make daily prop bets purely based on over and under of different basketball players playing that night, their different stat lines, whether they happen to be over that, under it. And as a loyal listener of the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast, you just use the promo code ETHOS, E-T-H-O. OS to be able to get a 100% deposit match on your first deposit up to a $100. So sign up and prop up today. But let's get right into it as far as the afternoon slate is concerned, which at 1 p.m. kicks us off with Brooklyn taking on Boston. Brooklyn is going to Boston, so we will have Kyrie Irving get his opportunity to get back on the floor again in a big revenge matchup, and that is going to be a focus today for sure. As far as the game totals are concerned, we are looking at a 226 game total with the Boston Celtics favored to win by four and a half points. As far as Brooklyn's concerned, first and foremost, Kevin Durant came back in that first game and showed absolutely zero signs of wear and tear. It looked like he was never gone at all. Usually you find that efficiency is something that takes a little bit of a hit, but even then, shot 10 of 21 in his first game back, 2 of 7 from the three-point line, to be able to put up 31 real points and get you up to 43.5 DK points. Now, he was 10,800 in that matchup against the Miami Heat, but he has dropped down to 9,900 over here. And in a two-game slate, which will have really just one other major stud that I'll be looking to pay up for, Kevin Durant is absolutely smack dab in my radar to be able to go ahead and take. Plain and simple, it's clear that minutes restrictions, not a thing, which is really what's important. And the rest of the rust will just absolutely shake off. Boston is always a tough defensive matchup, and this is the lower game total of the two in the slate. But in a lower game total, you'll often find that the stars are the ones that are required to be that little bit more involved and to be able to take a little bit more of that scoring load because the support players are often the ones that are getting locked in as a result. Plain and simple, Kevin Durant at 9,900, absolutely in play for me at that small forward power forward eligibility. And then it just moves on into Kyrie Irving. Now, Kyrie at 9,600, definitely a bit expensive in that sense, especially when Kevin Durant is back, not really playing purely isolation as far as his his game is concerned. We don't know whether he'll get up to those 22 to 26 shot attempts that he's been getting consistently for the last four games that he has played, but he'll likely get his assist total taking a little bit of a bump in that sense. And that in and of itself is exciting. Not to mention Boston, of course, being probably the number one spot where Kyrie will get absolutely just destroyed by the crowd. There is no question about the animosity that has built up there over a period of time. Obviously, Kyrie, a former Boston Celtic, you know, made it a very public desire to continue to stay with them and then went ahead and just left. And that is le- and that has left a massively sour taste in the mouth of the Boston faithful. So you can expect that there's going to be a lot of booze rained down on him, but Kyrie's not the type to let that get himself affected. And he's probably looking to put up a big revenge game here as well. So I am looking forward to seeing what Kyrie can do. Those are the two major guys I'm going to be focusing on as far as Brooklyn's concerned. But we have seen a number of these ancillary guys 
pick up their game over the last little while. Bruce Brown is the first one that jumps to mind as far as that's concerned. You know, 4,900, not the most exciting price tag. And you have to also keep in mind that uh, Seth Curry, who is probable, is going to be back over here. So that is likely to take a little bit of that sheen off. They did play together, but of course, you know, Kyrie wasn't there in that game. So that changes a couple of things around as well. Regardless, if there's any ancillary player that I am looking at, it's likely going to be Bruce Brown just because he's the one who's going to be able to take advantage of all that attention that's coming towards Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And, you know, he loves to get into that short role, get that floater game going for him. And his minutes are pretty much guaranteed as one of the best defenders on this team. So if you're looking for a little bit of a pivot to get some exposure, Bruce Brown is going to be your guy. But moving on to the Boston Celtics. First of all, as far as the injury report's concerned, which I know I didn't give for the Brooklyn side, but uh, other than Joe Harris and Ben Simmons being out, the only other major one was that Seth Curry, which he is listed as probable, so that's fine. As far as the Boston Celtics are concerned, we have Jalen Brown, who's listed as questionable with his ankle sprain, so we'll have to see if he does, in fact, come out and play. Of course, this is the first game of the slate, so we'll be able to find out way in advance if that does happen. Because if it does, at his current price tag of 8100 I am absolutely interested in him. You know, we've talked about the fact in the past that both Tatum and Brown often get priced pretty similarly, and both of them get priced pretty appropriately, which makes it less exciting to be able to take one or the other. But if Jalen Brown is coming in at 8100 and he's not looking to have any restrictions coming in, I do have a little bit more interest in him than I do of Jason Tatum, who, by the way, at 9500 is also at a very good price tag for what he has been consistently doing. He's got two uh, straight 50 DK points games, three out of the last four being 50 plus. So we know that upside is there. And more importantly, his stroke is starting to come around. Last two games has shot 48% at 56% from the field respectively. We know his field goal attempts are always going to be very consistent. The only thing that goes a little bit away when uh, Jalen Brown is also there is some of those opportunities to be able to get those assists and rebounds. We see more of those bigger stat line nights, especially on the assist side, once Jalen Brown is out, because essentially the primary ball handling goes all over to Jason Tatum, because the other guards that they have here are more off-ball uh, off ball centric players. But as far as any of these little ancillary pieces are concerned, I will always like taking Marcus Smart. Just in general, he has so much diversity to his stat line. I took him in that Memphis game. He did well there. Took him in the Atlanta game prior to that. Has also done well. And really for his price tag, which is sitting at that 6,100, there's just too many opportunities for him to consistently be able to hit that in a two-game slate where you're looking for as much solidity as you can get, given the fact that you're hoping your studs will carry you and then you'll have the dart throw to kind of differentiate your lineup. To me, Marcus Smart is the smart play to be able to make over someone like a Derek White, who just plain and simple is not getting the same kind of minutes, the same kind of usage. And he's always been more of a you know, make the smart basketball play, get himself into the right spots to be able to get his thing going. He's not really going to force something to get his own, which is sometimes what Marcus Smart can do to the detriment of the team. But as far as DK points are concerned, it gives him more opportunities to be able to do that. You know, he's not ever been a great offensive player, but he'll always get those opportunities to be able to put his shots up. And he has zero qualms about doing that the first opportunity he gets. So I'm good with taking Marcus Smart. I know Robert Williams is always a popular pick, and at this price tag at 6400 he may be one of the centers that I am absolutely looking at, given the fact that uh, I am going to speak about the center on the Phoenix side, who I may be a little bit more interested in, in taking over someone like a Robert Williams. I think both of those are absolutely in play at 6400 We know that he can just rack up those rebounds. This isn't a Brooklyn team that is super... Uh, high or super tall at the front court. So he does get more of an opportunity to be a little bit more attacking. We know that Robert Williams otherwise is slightly undersized as far as centers are concerned, but doesn't have to worry about that as much here, nor does he have to worry about someone being a dominant big man that could potentially get him into some sort of foul trouble. So absolutely okay with taking either of those. Moving on to the Phoenix and Milwaukee game. And game total is sitting at 231 and a half here with the Milwaukee Bucks favored to win by nine points. So definitely the bigger of the two spreads as far as we're seeing both in game totals as well as the potential point spread, which does give this a little bit more of a risky air to it. We know that the upside is there. And as long as this game can remain close, 
we will see that upside get realized. So I do expect to have a decent amount of exposure here. However, the question is who is actually going to show up at that level for the Phoenix Suns, given the fact that on their injury report, we know Devin Booker is out with COVID protocols. Chris Paul continues to remain out. Cam Johnson has also been ruled out due to a quadriceps contusion. So a lot to really take in as far as the rotation is concerned for the Phoenix Suns. Really, exactly what I'm talking about from the previous option with regards to Robert Williams. I do like DeAndre Ayton better at the same kind of price tag over here. We know what kind of upside he has, how efficient he is, but now he is going to be required to be even more involved as far as the offense is concerned for the Phoenix Suns. At 6,300, a guy who is likely to be the... Um, if Maybe if not the leader, then the second as far as shot attempts are concerned, because we saw that uh, Cameron Payne is a guy who just loves to be able to chuck it up. But with Cam Johnson also out, who had been on an absolute tear, there really is going to be a lot needed, not only from DeAndre Ayton himself, but also from Mikael Bridges, who by and large has always been a guy, much like the Derek White situation that we spoke about, isn't necessarily looking for his own as far as offense is concerned. He's more content of playing within the flow of everything that's going, choosing to remain efficient, picking the right shots. But he is going to be required to be more involved here. And that gives him a lot of upside as far as his price tag is concerned. A 5,800 for a guy who has shown a lot of flashes as far as his offensive versatility is concerned. I believe will be more involved today, will be more required, and given given the fact that he's already the best defender also on the team, means that he's going to be taking a lot on his end. So between Aiton and, and Bridges, absolutely love taking those players. And campaign, he's just going to be chalk. I don't need to speak too, too much about him. Coming off an absolutely monster 46 DK points game, locked in as the primary ball handler, the primary point guard, put up 16 assists in that last game against the Knicks. And now we know Milwaukee is a different beast as far as the defensive side of things are concerned. And the fact that he's going to be chased around by Drew Holiday for a long period of this does put a little bit of a capper on what that upside could be. I don't expect him to get into the 40s again. But regardless, a starting point guard is going to be playing 30 plus minutes guaranteed at 4,800. It's absolutely in play. And that same mantra goes for Jay Crowder as well, a guy who you know loves to get up for the big games, loves to get scrappy with it, has gotten into a number of scraps with Giannis in the past as well. So I expect this to be a chippy game going all the way through. And given the fact that Cam Johnson and his double-digit shot attempts are gone, he is going to be needed to be that little bit more involved in the offense as well. So really it all comes down to how you game script this, because if you expect that Phoenix is able to go ahead and keep this at least somewhat close, requiring these guys to play the kind of minutes that we would need them to, to be able to try and keep this in play, then absolutely so many of these Phoenix Suns are going to be heavily involved here. And that's going to be where I will potentially be finding a good bit of my focus because on the Milwaukee end, and again, we're talking price tags here. Giannis at 11,000. He is my favorite to be able to go ahead and pay up at 11,000. I just think he is way, way, way too cheap. At no point, even when he plays 30 minutes on the mark, even 28, has his upside ever been below that 55 DK point mark. In fact, in the last six games, he has yet to hit a game below 57 DK points. So he's just an absolute stud. We know a permanent monster like few others in the league. Coming up in a fast-paced matchup, coming up in a finals rematch, even though we have a little less as far as Phoenix side is concerned, you know that the Bucks will be looking to make that statement, especially at home. So Giannis is going to be, to me, the highest raw points total scorer on this entire slate of two games. And given the fact that we need as many of those as possible with the number of value options that we do have available, I don't see myself not having Giannis in pretty much every lineup of mine. He's going to be absolutely locked in. As far as the injury report, though, goes, since I did want to bring that out on the side, uh, not much has changed as far as the Milwaukee Bucks are concerned. We still have Brooke Lopez out, Wesley Matthews out, George Hill out, Pat Connaughton out, but the rest of them remain as normal, which means that Chris Middleton, who's also gotten a little bit of a price drop at 7,200, absolutely in prey. Drew, Drew Holiday, 7,100, also a bit of a price drop, and a price drop 
based upon the fact that he's had three great games. It's just one of those where, again, I feel like he is far too cheap for the upside that he offers. I do Usually, I would say I like Chris Middleton more than I like Drew Holiday, but given the fact that Chris Middleton will likely get more of that wing attention, more of that Jay Crowder attention, uh, more of that Mikal Bridges attention, I do feel that Drew Holiday is in a better position to be able to take advantage of this matchup. Cameron Payne, on the other hand, very undersized, not the quickest as far as lateral movements concerned, and not the strongest either, just will have a lot of struggle trying to stay up there with Drew Holiday. So definitely of the two there, I'm more interested in that. Bobby Portis is always in play for 6,000, but given the two centers that we've talked about between DeAndre Ayton and Robert Williams, both of those I like quite a bit better than Bobby Portis. So he'll probably be the guy I do fade in on this side over here. And then just as far as the ancillary pieces are concerned, you know, if you're looking for a GPP pivot, if the game looks like it's going to get even slightly out of hand, then you know that a combination of either Grayson Allen and Jordan Noir will find themselves getting more minutes here. I don't necessarily love them, given the fact that you know, their minutes are up and down, especially someone like Grayson Allen, who should be getting more minutes, but has only uh, gotten six shot attempts in that time and not all that involved as far as the offense is concerned. But at 3,300, I wouldn't fault you for doing that. And if it's something that rounds out your lineup, hey, absolutely, go for it. Now, Given that this is the morning slate, I will speak on the two uh, on the two games here and give my tier list for that. So we'll start off with our expensive option. And as I said, of all the guys over here, the raw points total are what matters the most. And that makes Giannis at 11,000 my favorite pick as far as my expensive tier of guys are concerned. You know, just in a great matchup in a finals rematch at home looking to put that stamp of authority, regardless of who is there on the Phoenix side, Giannis is going to be my guy. As far as mid-tier is concerned, and I think there's a number of valid options to be able to go here, but DeAndre Ayton at 6,300 is going to be my pick. Going to the other side over there, going up against a matchup in which he did quite well, not only in the finals as well, but in general against the Milwaukee Bucks, DeAndre Ayton has found himself doing quite well in just 26 minutes in the first game they played this year. He put up 39 DK points there as well, shooting 12 of 14. I don't necessarily expect him to have that level of efficiency, but his shot attempts should be going through the roof in this kind of a matchup. So definitely a key guy to be able to keep in place, and he's going to be my pick for the mid-tier. And as far as value is concerned, and this is where now, it's a little bit more iffy on where you could potentially be looking at here. And at 4,900 or less, it's going to have to be campaign. Plain and simple, he's the chalkiest of picks to be able to go ahead and throw out there. And he's definitely going to be in more of those matchups. So if you're looking for a little bit of a pivot to kind of not only take him, but to look at where you could potentially see a little bit more of a contrarian lineup would be with Bruce Brown at 4,900. That would be my other pick as far as the value tier is concerned. Again, that small forward eligibility gives him a little versatility on where you could fit him in on the lineup as well. I do believe he'll get a good bit of involvement in the offense with the defense so keyed in on both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So that would make an interesting switch to be able to round out the rest of your lineup. But moving on to that main slate, just as stated before, that 6 p.m. game will not be part of the main five-game slate over here. So Indiana Pacers and Washington Wizards, we can go ahead and ignore that one and move right into our 7 p.m. slate, which will consist of five games, starting off with Memphis taking on the Houston Rockets in a game which has a 235 and a half game total, which is our highest game total of the night. But the caveat being that the Memphis Grizzlies are being favored by 10 and a half points. So not the most exciting in that sense, potential for a blowout over here. As far as the Memphis Grizzlies are concerned, we still have the regular guys all good to go. Uh, Dylan Brooks continues to be out, and the rest of them, just the irrelevant ones coming at the bottom. Nothing that will affect as far as their rotation is concerned. So the question really comes on, do you want to take John Morant at 10500 in a matchup where he is just going to go ham, but unlikely to need to play the kind of minutes that would be required of him, especially given that he has been on a pretty high minutes run for a little bit. And I just expect that Memphis wants to make sure he doesn't get 
burnt out given how hard he has been going as of late. In the first game he played against Houston, only needed to play 24 minutes in that one to secure the win for the Grizzlies. Did put up 44 DK points in that game, but... That is obviously less than what we need given his price tag. So I am definitely fading uh, John Morant over here. And in fact, in general, I, I just think these Memphis Grizzlies, even though their price tags aren't bad at all, whether it be Desmond Bain, whether it be Jaron Jackson, I just think there's more upside to be found later on in this slate that I am happy to just go ahead and avoid this matchup altogether. The only kind of side note I may have to that is is that I may be looking at Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton. And again, this is more of a GPP pivot, absolutely not someone that you should just be straight targeting. But if we do get a blowout situation over here, we're likely to get them to see a couple more minutes on here. Uh, Kyle Anderson in general has always just played the same kind of minutes, but he's always super productive in that time. He's able to get up those ancillary stats coming off seven steals in the last two games, one of which was obviously six in that Boston game, which was just insane. But we know he's going to be in that 24 to 29 minute range. Not the most exciting pick at 4,600, but coming up against a Houston team, which is just absolutely porous as far as defense is concerned. And also porous as far as turnovers are concerned means that there is a lot of opportunity for him to be able to rack up those stats. However, Moving on to the Houston side, this is where I do have a little bit more interest, especially given the game total and given the fact that of all the rotations that are out there, Houston is going to be terrible regardless of how things go. So that means the minutes total is going to be relatively secure regardless of what the game is looking like just because there's really no one else that the Houston Rockets can really play. As far as the injury report though is concerned, uh, we have Dennis Schroeder continuing to being listed as questionable. He has missed two games already here and we're going to have to see if he actually does get the opportunity to suit up here against the Memphis Grizzlies because if he doesn't, I'm just going to go absolutely back to the well as far as my picks on Jalen Green are concerned. First and foremost, at 5,600, he has consistently found himself in a great situation to be able to just gun away from deep. And the biggest questions to him was all about his efficiency, which has really turned around in the last three games, shooting over 50% on average and hitting a grand total of seven threes in that time as well. None of those DK points below 33, which gives him a supreme floor to be able to work and continue to be that guy that Houston is developing. That's really all that they can do at this point. Both him and Kevin Porter Jr. are just locked in as far as the backcourt is concerned. And you know what you're going to get with Kevin Porter, which is you don't know what you're going to get with Kevin Porter. And any given game, he can absolutely go off and give you that 40, 40 plus as far as his DK points are concerned. But at 6,400, I feel there are better options that one can potentially be interested in just given the fact that we have five games overall on this slate and given the fact that Kevin Porter is just so inconsistent that I'd rather just continue to stick with my gut as far as Jalen Green is concerned until he lets me down, that's going to be where I go. My only other caveat to this is the Alperin Sengun side of things. He seems to be swapping off good games and bad games then. Unfortunately, he's coming off a good one here, but at 4,200, we know that he only needs about 24 minutes to be able to absolutely smash that as far as his DK points are concerned. He's getting his shot attempts up, and it's it's interesting in the games that he does well. It's clear that Houston is content to go with the hot hand on those ones. He got 15 attempts up in the Clippers game where he put up 33 DK points. He got double-digit attempts up against Denver where he went up and put 30 DK points as well. And his rebounding total kind of goes with it as well. So it's kind of an altogether thing. If Sangoon is shooting well, the rest of his game kind of brings itself along with it because he just gets that much more involved in the offense. I do believe in Sangoon as a long-term prospect. I do believe that... Houston has absolutely nothing else to play for instead of actually going ahead and playing him. So I may find myself a little contrarian, get a couple of Sangoons in there just to get myself some exposure into this game. And just given the fact that his 4,200 price tag does give me a decent amount of upside. And you got to keep in mind in the two games that he's already played against Memphis, he's racked up nearly 30 DK points on average, only playing 20 minutes a game in those ones as well. So has enjoyed the matchup, has been able to rack up his stocks in that time as well. So looking forward to seeing if he can do a little bit more of that. But moving on to the next game, which is the Utah Jazz taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder, a 221.5 game total. And this one, the biggest point spread of the night has the Utah Jazz favored by 13 and a half points and I'm going to keep it just 
absolutely simple over here. I am not interested in anyone as far as the Utah Jazz are concerned. Rudy Gobert is at an absolutely fantastic price tag. Don't get me wrong, 8,500. He's absolutely killed OKC in the two games that are there, but there is just too much risk for me to go ahead and take him here, given the fact that I do have other options that I feel a lot more confident with and doesn't require me to hamstring 8,500 of my budget in a game in which he may only be needed to play somewhere in the low 20s as far as minutes are concerned. OKC, even though they've been pretty decent at home in terms of keeping games close with the amount of injuries that they have to their primary offensive guys, I just don't have faith in them keeping this even somewhat close. So I'm just going ahead and avoiding Utah. And really that leads into the OKC side as well, where I do have interest in some of those mid-tier guys, but with Josh Giddy continuing to be out, Lou Dort continuing to be out, and the rest of their injury report just being a sea of red. Uh, Williams is out, Jerome is out, Favors is out, Aaron Wiggins is questionable. It's just not enough in the tank as far as their offense is concerned for me to think about Shea Gilgis-Alexander at 10,400. As far as he's concerned, we know that if the game is somehow going to remain close, it's going to be because he did well. He hasn't particularly done well against the Utah Jazz team that just has so many defensive tools to be able to go ahead and slow him down. That if there's any interest I do have, it's going to be in that trifecta of 5,000 guys that OKC has, whether it be Trey Mann sitting at 5,500, who, plain and simple, just gets shots up. That's that's really his game over here. You're hoping that he's able to continue shooting anywhere between 13 to 15 times that he's been getting consistently in the last five games and able to hit you know, even somewhere in the low 40s as far as percentage is concerned. That will allow him to get into that 30 DK point mark, which is really what you need for him to be able to hit value. Still not the most exciting pick for me to take, just given the fact that you don't get that many opportunities against the Utah Jazz team, which is one of the better defensive teams in the league. And it's why I'm also avoiding Isaiah Roby in a regular situation. He has been playing absolutely well in the last two games. His minutes total is finally back to a normal slot. Plain and simple, it should have probably been there from the beginning. But you know, with Derek Favors and a couple of other vets that they were trying to get involved, Roby was taking the brunt of that. But he is coming on strong in two games. So even though it is against a Rudy Gobert matchup, I may find myself a little inclined to be able to take him, but again, I think there's other opportunities in which we can go ahead and take advantage of that 5,000-ish price tag, which doesn't have the risk of having to go up against a Rudy Gobert on the other end. And it's why Pokashevsky as well, who's just incredibly inconsistent, but gives you that upside at 5,300, is someone you can think about from a contrarian lineup, but I am going to be avoiding. Moving on to the Toronto and Cleveland game which is going to be in Cleveland, the lowest game total of the night over here, 211.5, with the Cleveland Cavaliers favored by four points. And the line being that close has me figuring that both uh, Malachi Flynn and Fred Van Vliet, who are listed as questionable coming into this matchup, we're going to have to see if they actually end up playing, because I expected this to be you know, a bigger points total win for the Cleveland Cavaliers at home in a much better health situation. So perhaps we actually get to see one of Van Vliet or Flynn, or especially Van Vliet, get in here. So keep an eye out for that because at 8,400, he is just absolutely fantastic at his price tag. We know exactly what he offers night in, night out. And the fact that he's gotten a week pretty much to rest off at this point in this like crazy five-game week that the Raptors have had, if he can come back, look fresh, he's a guy that I am interested in taking. Again, carries that little bit of risk as far as his price tag is concerned, but you want some of that upside, that's exactly what you get. Uh, Pascal Siakam at 9,400, though, would be kind of the pivot away from that. If we see that Fred Van Vliet is to be ruled out, uh, then Siakam absolutely becomes a big play for them, uh, given the fact that, just in general, the offense is going to run through him. But more so than that, given the bigger bodies that Cleveland have on the other end, the Raptors' best chances to keep attacking that in the paint on him, and Siakam is their best opportunity to be able to get them off kilter, a little into foul trouble. And if he can shoot 20 times as he did against Orlando in that last game, which you know, he's more prone to do when people are out, and then he definitely gets a great boost as far as his floor is concerned. So 9,400, one of my more favorite studs as far as this, uh, this slate is concerned. But if we see that uh, Van Vliet is going to be out, then Scotty Barnes just continues to be a guy that I am absolutely interested in. 
did really well against Cleveland that first game that he did play. I'll put up 37 DK points in that one, even though he didn't have a great shooting night. But you know, this clash of the rookies is a thing. You can see that he really does look to come out hard against other matchups in which you know, rookies are there that are in against him as far as the rookie of the year race is concerned. And Mobley, who is absolutely the front runner, this is going to be Scotty's opportunity to show that this isn't a closed book race just as of yet. He has been coming in super hot, had a little bit of an off game against that or the Orlando Magic squad where he put up 25 DK points for a 15 shooting night, which has been way off the norm for him. A guy who has been just absolutely on fire to start uh, this month of March shooting nearly 60% in those two games there. So I expect him to get back to some sort of normalcy on this one here. And at 7,000, yes, he's gotten a little bit of a bump as far as his price is concerned, but I think that floor is just absolutely secure for how much the Toronto Raptors are running with him. And I know Mike's going to be excited for me to say this, but uh, Gary Trent is not a guy I am targeting on here. Right? Has been in a massive slump as of late. No two ways about it. At 6600 I believe that price tag has a little bit more room to come down while he gets his shot going. But hey, you never know. As soon as I've said I'm not going to take him, because given he shot 6 of 35 in his last two games, I expect him to come out firing here. So we'll see how that ends up working out. But the real interesting thing is who is going to be running major point guard duties for him. So if we see Malachi Flynn is ruled out, then that just gives that further boost over to Scotty Barnes, over to Pascal Siakam, who are going to become the primary ball handlers for a team that are really going to need him uh, to be able to be that guy to get something facilitating. Because beyond that, that's been one of the bigger concerns as far as the Raptors are. Not enough ball handlers alongside the fact that their front court has been undersized. So we'll see how this turns out. Moving on into the Cleveland side, though, we see Darius Garland coming off a ridiculous game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Unfortunately, came up short, but in one of the games of the season for him, he put up 26 points, 19 assists en route to a 66 and a half DK point night game. Yet his price tag is still at a very attractive 8,600. Even more so because as far as the injury report's concerned, we know that Karis LeVert continues to be doubtful. Uh, he has missed already five games. Unlikely he'll make it for this one. Rajon Rondo, who is also doubtful with his toe, means that Darius Garland is going to continue to be required as that absolute ultimate ball handler for them. Everything going through him. And at 8,600, given the fact that this is Given the fact I know how Raptors end up playing, they are, they are going to really look to crowd him out here and try and make someone else score. He has had two great games against the Toronto Raptors are concerned. Put up 38 and a half uh, DK points in each of them, one of them being a really good performance and the other one where we were able to slow him down that little bit more. But in general, the point guard situation is going to be determined by who we have to be able to throw at him defensively. And at 8,600, He's definitely one of the guys that are absolutely in play for me. I expect in this kind of a matchup, he will be that much more involved as far as the offense is concerned, as far as his playmaking is concerned, to be able to get it up to someone like an Evan Mobley, up to someone like a Jared Allen to try and take advantage of a front court that has struggled to be able to contain that kind of size. On the topic of Jared Allen, he put up 15 rebounds in the first game against the Toronto Raptors. 39 DK points there, and in general has just been super, super solid for the last four games that he played. Uh, a floor of 33 as his lowest in the last four with an upside showing that he can get into the 40s. At 7,600 is probably the upper range of where I'm comfortable taking him, but I think both him and Mobley are in great spots to be able to go ahead and have a big game over here against the Toronto Raptors team that is really struggling to be able to contain any sort of size up at the front. The next game on the slate is the New Orleans Pelicans taking on the Denver Nuggets. In a game that has a 228.5 game total, the Denver Nuggets are favored to win this game by four. As far as the Pelicans are concerned, for their injury report, Zion Williamson continues to be out, though we did get that announcement as of yesterday that he has been cleared to participate in basketball activities. So, I think some exciting news as far as the New Orleans Pelicans are concerned, given the fact that they're still very much in that mix to be able to get into that play-in tournament. And with the Lakers continuing to be in 
in free fall outside of that great win yesterday against the Golden State Warriors, you know the Pelicans, which who are in 10th at the moment, will definitely be trying to get higher up in that to give themselves that opportunity to potentially, if they can get into the uh, top eight, that'd be great. Otherwise, lock themselves into that play-in, give themselves a chance to be able to make that postseason, hopefully have Zion back in that time, and that could be something quite interesting as far as not only playing opponents are concerned, but also potential first round ones, because on paper, the Pelicans have a really good squad and we're going to have to see how they can go about gelling once Zion Williamson is able to go ahead and make it back onto the floor. But as far as this game itself is concerned, we've seen the usual suspects continue to be just absolutely solid as far as the New Orleans Pelicans are concerned. It starts with CJ, who has just been Night in, night out since he got this trade in. At about that 18 field goal attempts gives you that mid-40s as far as DK points are concerned. Most nights with a floor that has just not been anything below that 33 one time, like seven games back, but really 38 in that game against Utah, which was a 34-point blowout, and he still went up and put up near 40 DK points in that. So you just know that the Pelicans are going to continue to run with CJ as much as possible. And at 8,800, yeah, against a Denver team that doesn't have all that much as far as their backcourt is concerned, have continued to struggle with the miss of Jamal Murray, the miss of a Michael Porter Jr. to be able to switch on. But in general, with Monte Morris being that kind of main guy to be able to take up a lot of those minutes as far as the backcourt's concerned, he's just a solid player all around as far as offense is concerned. But on the defensive end, his undersized nature and his smaller stature just in general and strength-wise has struggled to be able to contain someone like a CJ, someone like a more powerful guard who can not only back you down, but also take you off the dribble. So CJ is definitely in play here for me. I expect this will be one of the better games as far as this entire slate is concerned. And given the other kind of high total games that we have, have such massive spreads, this is one where I have a little bit more interest given that it's the second highest total on this game, on this five game slate, while also just being a four point spread. So with that, CJ's in play. Ingram, who is starting to finally find his rhythm as far as his place in the offense is concerned. Right, we had seen that early on when the CJ trade had happened. He looked a little bit lost, trying to see exactly where he ended up fitting. Has taken advantage of being more of that facilitator. He still gets his shots up, don't get me wrong. 18, 19, 16 in the last three games. But that assist total that continues to now be reaching six and above game in and game out, which is a good bit above his season average, which was sitting at around four before this uh, for this recent deluge of assists. So lots of things to like as far as his entire stat line is concerned. And at 8,300, I would actually say I prefer him over CJ on this lineup. One, given the fact that he has that small forward eligibility, but two, just the fact that he doesn't necessarily need to be shooting super well to be able to find ways to be able to get his stat line going. But the next guy, and this is more probably my favorite center to be able to take on this slate, which is Jonas Valanciunas. We will speak about Jokic in a second, which is always an absolute monster of a pick, and we'll see how his uh, probable nature is concerned with regards to his illness, but Valanciunas at 7,300 has always found great success against Nikola Jokic and against the Denver Nuggets. In two games so far this season, has put up 42 DK points on average in that time and just continues to be that rock-solid third option. Wasn't required to do much as far as that Utah game is concerned, so he will definitely be raring to go now up against a matchup in which he takes on a a MVP candidate and the reigning MVP as well. So continues to find ways to be that dominant rebounding self for the New Orleans Pelicans has put up double digit rebound games in four out of his last five. Again, in that Utah one, we don't really count it. So I'll put it aside, but 18, 17, 14, those are the kind of rebounding totals that he's been able to put up against some pretty hefty front courts, whether it be uh, Phoenix on the Aiton side, whether it be Sacramento with Sabonis, he has found ways to just put his mark in those kind of matchups. And he looks forward to being able to go up against regular centers like that. So that Utah game dropping his value has actually got me quite interested to be able to go ahead and take him. And at 7,300, I'm likely going to find him in a good bit of my lineups here. So 
Definitely keep that in mind, given the fact that he has been quite successful in the past. On the Denver side of things, the injury report continues to be very much what we've seen so far. We know that uh, Michael Porter Jr. is actually going over to the G League side to be able to get a little bit of his uh, game shake back in, get uh, through full games that way, and hopefully we'll be able to see him back on the floor soon enough, which is really the same optimism that surrounds Jamal Murray as well, where they're hoping that both these guys will be able to make their debut prior to the playoffs. But for this game itself, we have Nikola Jokic, who did miss the last game with an illness, but is listed probable for this one at 12600 the most expensive guy on the slate, likely still the highest as far as raw points total is going to be concerned. But we are going to have to go ahead and keep an eye out on that, because if that probable tag moves to something that has him out, then DeMarcus Cousins, who just absolutely ate the Houston Rockets alive in that last game to the tune of 55.75 DK points, 31 real points, 9 and 4. Otherwise, just showed that he has so much left in the tank as far as his game is concerned. And we know he never really needs a massive minutes count to be able to be productive. Has always been a great permanent producer. And at 4,800, if we find out that Jokic is in fact out, then that is going to be one of the key guys that I absolutely zone in on. So given the fact that this is a later game on the slate, I'd probably recommend leaving yourself a little bit of room as far as either your center spot, your utility spot is concerned so that you could potentially make that swap. Because Cousins is going to be absolutely chalk if he does happen to go ahead and uh, get in that game without Jokic once again. But But as far as the rest of the Denver Nuggets are concerned, I'm never too, too excited to be able to take either Will Barton or Aaron Gordon. Both those guys are very appropriately priced at their 50 6,100, 6,300 mark. So never all that interested in taking them. Monte Morris is the same kind of situation because really if Jokic is there, then you know everything's going through Jokic. If he's not, then it's DeMarcus Cousins who's in that uh, price tag range where he can really take advantage. But the rest of them, not really all that interested, even though I expect they'll all get uh, somewhere close to somewhere near 5X just because of the game total and how close it's expected to be. But that upside just isn't there. On to the last game of the slate, and one in which the New York Knicks are traveling to the Crypto.com Arena to take on the LA Clippers in a game that is a 219.5 game total. The LA Clippers favored to win by five points. The New York Knicks on their end, as far as the injury report is concerned, uh, Derek Rose continues to be out and he has not yet been cleared for basketball activities. So that's something to definitely keep an eye out for. Kemba is, of course, out. Quentin Grimes is continued to be out. He is to be reevaluated in those two weeks. So he's probably about a week and a half into that as well. So really, it's the usual suspects as far as the New York Knicks are concerned. And really, in general, I'm not ever all that excited to be able to take them And also on a slate in which we are seeing so many opportunities that we have talked about in order to be able to take advantage. The only real guy that I have any sort of interest in is RJ Barrett, who of course had that monster game against the LA Clippers earlier in the year where he dropped 59 DK points on him. I do feel that it's something that I'm not necessarily looking to chase. And the fact that he hasn't been shooting anywhere near well in the last uh, two games overall, uh, six of 26, just being that one against Phoenix, in which he actually had an opportunity to do quite a bit better than that and could have done something to be able to pull the Knicks out of that game. But still was able to get 32.75 DK points in that. Clearly, his usage is absolutely secure. You know he's going to put up 20 shots a game and... With all of that comes the ability for him to be able to get those ancillary stats as well. right? Tom Thibodeau always will be putting up those high minutes totals as far as his guys are concerned. And RJ Barrett, no different. Hasn't had a game below 38 minutes played in the last four that he's gone about. So really, it's all about volume with him. And in, given the fact that it's a late night game, I always like to have at least a little bit of exposure. On the Knicks side, if there's anyone that I will be looking at, it is going to be R.J. Barrett. Uh, Julius Randle, in general, has never been a guy I like taking most nights. I think 9200 is a pretty appropriate price tag for him. Even though he has those odd games where he can get you into the 50s, his 
consistency and his floor and ceiling are usually pretty well locked in in that low 40s to low to mid 40s at the very most just doesn't give you the kind of upside that you'd want and rj barrett between the two are always going to be the guy that i am interested in and beyond that i just really am not all that excited to be able to take any of these other nicks the Evan Fournier kind of night that you get, the Alec Burks nights, they'll come few and far between, but it's just not secure enough for me to recommend any of those. But watch, as soon as I've said that, they're going to be one of those hot nights for them. But speaking of hot nights and moving on to the LA Clippers side, first of all, as far as the the injury report's concerned, it's all, it's all the same as far as we've been seeing up till that. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Norman Powell all continue to be out. And then the rest of the non-relevant rotation pieces but reggie jackson has been hot beyond any sort of recognition dude put up 64 dk points in that la lakers game and it's like he was specifically going after me for saying he's uh way too expensive for his price tag don't take him and i'm sticking with that here today by the way 8700 is ridiculous i would not pay that much for reggie jackson but it must be said that there are likely going to be people that go ahead and take them not only for the fact that it's that late night game but also just chasing the fact that he had put up 30 shot attempts in that game against the lakers en route to that 64 dk point night so you know, take it for what you will if you want to take reggie jackson i am not going to fault you he's been on fire it's just a little too risky for me. And that's the same thing with Zubats as well. Coming off three great games. Don't get me wrong. 50 DK points, 44 DK points, 38 DK points in that time. But 6,800 is just more than I am willing to pay for a Zubats. I'll take it on the chin over here. Honestly, for 500 more, I could go get a Jonas Valanciunas, which I'm far more excited to be able to take. And there's just other front court options in general whether it be Evan Mobley, whether it be Jared Allen, all of those that I just have that much more interest in and more secure feelings as far as their floor and their minutes totals are concerned, rather than an Ibiza Zubats, who probably will get himself in a in a pretty decent minutes total situation over here. Played 29 in the first game against the Knicks, put up 40 DK points in that game. So again, can't fault you for the fact that he has put up great performances in that time against a front court of the New York Knicks. But it's just plain and simple, not for me. If I'm looking into an LA Clippers team, I'm always a little bit more interested in those cheaper options that are there, whether it be an Isaiah Hartenstein, who at uh, 5,100 is probably about the high end of what I'd be willing to take him for. But we know that his per minutes total is always going to be great as far as DK points are concerned. Put up 29.75 in the last game against the Lakers as well. And four out of the last, uh, sorry, five games four out of the last five games he hasn't had a single one below 21 dk points and really just comes down to whether he can stay on the floor and in a game where you do have a little bit more size as far as the front court is concerned for the new york knicks i could see hartenstein getting a little bit more of a run in this kind of a game definitely one that's been of interest to me and robert covington being the other one i've talked about how much i love taking him in general has gotten his minute total up to something decent in the last little bit now. It got 27 minutes in that Lakers game en route to a 29.75 DK point night. 4,500, a little expensive for the fact that his minutes total can be up and down. So not the you know, smash pick to be able to go ahead and take, but definitely in play for me. But beyond that, I am avoiding most of these other Clippers. You know, Terrence Mann has been pretty solid all the way through. Again, doesn't offer me the kind of upside I like. Marcus Morris is the same kind of situation. Just doesn't give me the kind of upside that would make me feel comfortable to take these guys at that mid 5,000 floor. But that brings us to the end of our main slate over here. So we'll move right into my player tiers. And starting off with the expensive tier, I I said, just given the fact that we have so many potential options over here, really it comes down to who you trust to be able to get you upside for their price tag. And for me, that upside comes in the play of Darius Garland. At 8,600, I just think that's a great price tag to be able to take him in a matchup that, with the Raptors potentially missing out a number of their major backcourt options, yet are still going to likely be able to keep it tight with the other offenses that are there, the other offensive options that are there. I think Gar Garland at 8,600 just gives you so much to love as far as his upside is concerned. We saw his assists upside in the last game. 
He didn't necessarily need to shoot out of his mind, though he did still put up 26 real points in that as well. So while I'm not necessarily looking to chase 60 as far as his DK points are concerned, I do think 50 plus is on the cards here in a great matchup for him, for the Cleveland Cavaliers playing at home against the Toronto Raptors that are currently missing a couple of their major pieces. As far as the mid-tier is concerned, exactly what I said with regards to front courts and guys who love going up against big front court opposition, Jonas Valanciunas, 7,300 is just, to me, the best center option to be able to take for a combination of his price and his upside. Has done well against Jokic consistently. You got to keep in mind, he shot 59% in that time against the Nuggets in the two games that he's played, put up 42 DK points on average, and just has shown no signs of slowing down, aside from the fact that his minutes can get up and down on a game that isn't close. But in this game, it is going to be like that. The highest points total of any close game out there. So Jonas Valanciunas is my play as far as the mid-tier is concerned. And as far as value goes... With the value side of things, I think we are getting a little bit uh, iffy on some of these options over here, but I'm going to go ahead and say that that upside that I can see with Alperen Sengun is going to make him the guy that I'm interested in as far as value is concerned. 4,200 has shown the capability to be incredibly solid on the offensive end, has had two great games against Memphis in only 20 minutes a game, and I expect that to keep rising as the season goes on. They have nothing else to play for. We're starting to see some of that offense come around as far as Sangoon is concerned. And as we said, if we can see his shot go in early, which it has against the Memphis Grizzlies in the two games that he's played, then usually the other parts of his game round out with it. And with 4,200, he gives you that upside to be able to easily get into the 30s, if not more. So keep him in mind and definitely look into that as far as your tiers are concerned. Now, finally, we get to look into the Thrive Fantasy side of things. And there's a number of potentially juicy options that I am going about looking over here. But the one that I'm finding myself liking a lot is the CJ McCollum one at 35 and a half for his points, rebounds, and assists. The over gets you 105 points over there. I think it's a lock. Just given the fact that this is going to be a close game, he's going to be super involved as far as the offense is concerned. Even if he's not necessarily getting up to you know, 30s as far as his points are concerned, which he has been pretty consistently for the last five games. I think the rest of his stat line will allow him to be able to get that overall total. But that is it. That is our entire Sunday slate. Starting off at 1 p.m., going all the way over to the night, ending with the New York Knicks at the LA Clippers. Lots to love. And speaking of love, and we love the love that you guys give us on all the feedback that we get on these podcasts, right? So give us five stars anywhere that you listen to your podcast. Definitely give us any comments. You can reach me as always at H-A-K underscore devil on Twitter, where you can hit me up with your spicy takes. See whether in fact it will be spicy going off today against the Cleveland Cavaliers, whether we'll be seeing you know, some more tight matchups to be able to go ahead and come and who you are excited to be able to see really come out on top with some of these DFS picks that we are seeing tonight. But until then, we'll catch you on the next one where it'll be myself coming up with Mike to be able to take on the Monday slate. But until then, let's get in on these tournaments and let's cash in on some of these picks. 